Hey, I got some really exciting news for you, and that is today we are celebrating episode 50 of the Seven Figure Millennials podcast. So welcome, and today we're doing things a little bit differently just because I wanted to shake things up for episode number 50. I know lots of times when podcasters hit big episode markers, they do kind of a roundup of content, but instead of going really granular and wading through all the interviews I've done and picking out tactics from each episode, over the last month or so, I've started to kind of distill all this wisdom into a mental model that I've started to use and apply in my own life. So it's still a little bit complex at the time of this recording. I'm still simplifying it, but I want to focus on what I consider to be the most impactful aspects of this model. So if I had to place a bet on a topic that would have the biggest impact on your life from everything that I've learned in both interviewing people and also consuming all of their content, all the stuff that you don't even actually see inside of the interviews, it would be this topic. So because today's a special episode, let's cue the theme music and then we'll dive right in. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money, B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Bigger Millennials Podcast. Man, this is exciting. I haven't done a solo episode since episode number 15, so it has been over 35 weeks or 35 episodes since it's just been me and you. I know I did another interview where Jules Duncan interviewed me, and that was episode 35, so really, it's been a long time since you and I hung out, and I'm just really excited to just have a conversation about something that I know is going to make a massive difference in your life. So I don't have a script. I just have a bunch of bullet points that I want to cover that have all my notes and research, and I'm just going to dive in. So Uh, I'm also going to do my best to not retake any of this. I'm just going to do this as much as I can in one long shot. So if if I stumble a little bit, I'm just going to stumble through it and we're just going to have a conversation like you and I were hanging out in a coffee shop or something. So what is this topic? The topic that I chose for today that I know will, if used properly, this will make a massive impact on your life. So the topic is language. So I'll explain fully in a minute why I chose this topic. But first, I want to set this up by pointing to two awesome TED Talks that I've listened to recently. So the first one is by Lara Boroditsky, I think is how you say her name. And her TED Talk is called How Language Shapes the Way We Think. So she studied a whole bunch of different communities and cultures and how the language they they, they think in dramatically impacts their reality. And one of the examples she gives is an Aboriginal community in Australia called the Cook Thayor people. And what's interesting about this community is they don't have the words for left or right. So instead of left or right, they use cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west to describe everything. So if you have an ant crawling up your leg, they would say to you, you have a ant crawling up your northeast leg. (laughs) Uh, And so basically every single time you orient, there's no such thing as like a fixed left or right. You have to constantly know exactly which direction you are facing. And so another funny thing about this is outside of not having left or right, when they say hello to someone in their culture, you have to say the direction that you are heading when you say hi to them. So basically, if I ask you right now, what direction are you facing right now? Chances are, unless you're good at this, you probably don't know. I'm absolutely terrible at this. And so I can only imagine how hard it was for Lara to communicate in this community where like just to open your mouth, you pretty much have to know the direction you're heading. And so she was talking about how frustrating this was. And one day 
she was walking around and a bird's eye view of the landscape kind of popped up in her mind, kind of like a window opened up. And this new view helped her to orient herself and describe where she was heading. So she kind of saw this bird's eye view of the landscape and she was a red dot. And whenever she turned, the window stayed locked on the landscape, but the, you know, the, the orientation kind of turned in her mind's eye. And so she was like, oh my gosh, this is so valuable uh, to have this new perspective or way of looking at things. And so she was excited and she talked to somebody else in this community and they were like, yeah, how else would you do it? So it's kind of interesting because there are all these people that because of the language they speak, because of their cultures, their entire perception of reality, how they orient themselves in the world, how they view things is shaped by the language that they speak. So that's just one example that she talks about, but other things that are really interesting about how people organize time. So if I gave you let's say a picture of a baby a picture of a toddler a picture of a teenager and a picture of an old person and i said please organize these in the order of time if you're listening to this chances are you would probably want to organize the pictures from left to right but people who speak hebrew hebrew they or they write write and read from right to left so they would actually organize their time from right to left and i, I think it's mandarin or, or i don't know what specific dialect of chinese or if it's all of them that just shows a little bit <laughs> of how much i know about Mandarin, but um, I, I think it's in Mandarin where they organize or they read top down. So they would organize from top down. And so that's another example. And then a third example she talks about, and I, I've actually mentioned this on the podcast before, so I'm glad I was able, able to find uh, the specific source where this came from. But she talks about how in Russian, they have specific words for light blue and dark blue. Like, like it, 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 there's a very clear distinction of different shades of blue. But because they have language for those shades of blue, Russian people can actually identify those colors more effectively than somebody who doesn't actually have the word in that language. So those are all really cool ways that language shapes the way we think. It's a massive container that because you're listening to me in English, because you speak English, we are restricted and don't have the ability to communicate certain ideas or, or things other cultures have. So that's one TED Talk. The other TED Talk is by Keith Chen and it's called, Could Your Language Affect Your Ability to Save Money? So this is what he talks about in this TED Talk is that as English speakers, we speak a future language. So anytime we want to talk about something in the future, we have to grammatically separate that from the present and treat it like it's different. And English is the only Germanic language that does this. So we would say... Um, it rained yesterday, it's raining, it will rain tomorrow. And so we subtly have to disassociate the future from the present every single time we speak. Whereas in Chinese, they would say the equivalent of yesterday it rained, now it rained, tomorrow it rained, which sounds weird to us as English speakers. And German is also similar in the way they do it. So his hypothesis in studying his this stuff is, could how you speak about time or how your language forces you to think about time, could that impact how you behave across time? And so what he found is that in languages where, where they call them futured languages, where the future is different than the present, compared to languages that are called futureless languages, where the future is similar to the present, there's a massive difference in how people save. So compared, if he compared a family that speaks a future language with a future list language and, you know, kind of controlled for variables in income, demographics, number of children, education, he found out that people who speak future list languages 
are 30% more likely to save in any year and are 25% more likely to have, or they, they're, they're going to retire with 25% more in savings just because of the language that they speak. And then he also correlated that with other data and found that it also impacts health as well. So people who speak future list languages are 20 to 24% less likely to smoke, 13 to 17% less likely to be obese and 20% more likely to use condoms because they don't view the future is something that is that distinct from the present moment. So if language has such a massive grip in our reality, why wouldn't we pay closer attention to this? And this is why I chose this as the topic today, because my perspective, and I've heard this from other people, and I've kind of added all other layers to it from my understanding, but if you look at our behavior or our results, what has the biggest impact on our behavior and our results? I would argue that it's language, because language as we just talked about, shapes the way that we see the world. So our language impacts our culture, which our culture is you know, both societal and the culture that you have in your family. And then your culture impacts your identity, who you believe you are. And there's a reason why I put Shannon Graham right before episode 50 that we're talking about today is because we talk a lot about identity there. Um, I recorded that months before it was aired. So I've been working on, on Shannon's stuff for a while. But anyways, so it's language shapes your culture, both societal and familial, which shapes your identity, who you believe you are, which shapes your thoughts. Your thoughts shape your actions and your actions shape your results. Every single action that you have, the predecessor to that is a thought. Anything that ever existed in this world once existed in somebody's mind beforehand. So if you want to look at the highest level impact above culture, it's language. And so that's why I wanted to share this topic today and give you some actionable ways that you can use language to reconstruct your reality. So these are my beliefs. I invite you to listen with an open heart and open mind. And my perspective is to always just test things. If I hear something that may sound a little bit weird, I say, what's the worst case scenario if I just try this out for a little bit. If you, if you like it, then keep it. If you don't like it, get rid of it. So if, if these things resonate with you, I invite you to explore a little bit more because I found a lot of gold here in my personal life. And so that's why I want to share it with you. So another few things, I came up with three specific ways that you can use language to reconstruct your reality. So we'll go through each of them. But a few other notes that I want to say before we dive into them is that I believe that your reality is mostly in your head. So there's this story I heard a long time ago. There's two kids. They're in a room. They or Before they open the room, they're all excited. They open the door and they find this room from floor to ceiling is just covered in horse shit, just all over the place. And one kid is like, this is ridiculous. Why am I in a horse manure? This is stinky. This is gross. And then you look at the other kid and the other kid is just excitedly, you know, clawing through all this poo and is like really excited and you talk to the kid why are you so excited about being in this poo and the other the other kid is like there's got to be a pony in here somewhere so you can have the same exact reality but react in two different ways depending on the way that you are framing things in your mind so how you interpret your reality is your reality so when I'm talking about language from here on out, there's actually two different kinds that I, I wanna make sure we talk about before we open up these three ways. The first is the actual language you speak. So we are speaking English right now. And your ancestors also may have spoken different languages, they probably did, that impacted their reality. So the construction of the language limits what you can see. So that's one way, is like the actual language we speak. The other way that I'm talking about language is the way the language is used and, and I would say most likely in your household growing up is the language that 
your family used to explain their reality? Was it predominantly positive or was it negative? Did they talk about what was lacking or did they talk in abundance? Did they blame others for their circumstances or did they accept responsibility? So all these are different ways to use the same language that shapes a reality differently. So I want to give you three ways that you can examine your reality and unlock next levels in your life. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you will know this quote comes up all the time. I say it all the time. You can probably predict that I say this quote if you've been a long time listener. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. So up until I started studying language, I just kind of took everything for granted. I wasn't even really thinking about the language I was speaking and the impact that it had on my reality. But now that I've made this a conscious study, it went from something I you know, was unconscious to now something I'm bringing to my conscious. I can now play with it and adjust it and see how I can make it better in my life. So um, there are three ways that you can use language to reconstruct your reality. The first one is digging up your ancestral roots. Number two is using conscious language. And number three is constructing your identity 2.0. So let's dive in with number one, digging up your ancestral roots. So I think that the best place to start is actually to look at your ancestors. What actual language did they speak? What negatively impacted your ancestors in the way that they saw the world that was passed on to your parents, which was eventually passed down to you, even if you don't currently speak the language that they speak? Were there positive components that you can keep or are there negative components you can get rid of? All these things are great, but it starts with just having an awareness. So I started to look way more into my family history over the past few weeks. I never even really considered it as anything that was relevant. And it started with, I mean, I guess a while ago, I took 23andMe. If you're not familiar with 23andMe, you just spit in a jar and then they can tell you your uh, genetic makeup, which is really interesting. So for me, I am 35.6% Slovenian and 46.2% Chinese. So the other parts that make up to 100% are, are smaller components. But the biggest cultural influences on my DNA is Chinese, first of all, 46.2% and 35.6% Slovenian. And for the Chinese part, this is the interesting thing is I've, I've examined this and talked to my family a little bit more. I'm specifically Hoysanese. And so um, I don't know nearly, I didn't really know anything about Hoysanese uh, being Hoysanese and up until recently. And what I've found is that this has just massive implications. So I would encourage you as I explain some of my discoveries that you use this as an opportunity and an inspiration for you to do more exploration in your life. So the first thing that I did and that you can do to dig up your ancestral roots and find some of that unconscious programming that was passed on to you is if you have your parents or grandparents still around, interview them. And I I know that I'm the one that is used to doing interviewing. If you're not used to doing interviewing for, for people that are listening, this doesn't have to be anything pretty. This is just you being curious about your past. And so I've interviewed both my grandpa Fong and my grandma Weezen. Um, and and th there was lots of insights that I got, but most of it was like how they saw reality and the language they used that dramatically shaped the world that I, I see right now. So um, again, this is something that was unconscious, but now I'm making it conscious so I can pick it up. So a few things that came from my interview with Grandpa Fong that was super inter interesting is one of the first things he started to talk about is, uh, he said, we, this is a quote from the interview, we lived on a farm in a small country. In those days, we didn't have time to go play. My mom tried to teach me how to escape in case the Japanese came. We didn't think about luxury stuff. We thought about how to survive in those days. So, you know, psychologically speaking, the first few years of your life are the most impactful. And, you know, my grandpa was just basically being taught about survival. And he also never knew his father because he left for America when, when, um, my grandpa was a baby. And the first time he actually met his dad, he didn't know it was his dad. And he called him uncle. He told that story. I didn't know that before I interviewed. So 
it was just you know, as a, kind of a side note, it's just cool that like, you know, you, you probably had conversations with your, your parents or your grandparents many, many times, but you know, have you actually had a deep in-depth conversation that you've recorded where you found out these kind of weird details? So I've learned a lot. Um, but you know, there are lots of other things my grandma had to, my grandpa dealt with that shaped his reality. So he came to the country and went to school without knowing the language. He dealt with almost being deported and having to go to war. Um, and I, I love my grandpa and he's gone through some crazy things in his life. And those experiences and predominant outlook of survival, obviously somewhat imparted on my dad. And I, I know my dad who, who's probably listening right now. Hi dad <laughs> was very, he very consciously thought about what he wanted to pass on to my brother and I and what he didn't. And I've gone super in depth on, on how awesome my dad is and how awesome he made my childhood in episode 35. If you want to hear about that, but interviewing my grandpa, absolutely helped me to understand a bit more about my dad's life growing up, what my grandpa was sharing with him and what may still be remnant, even if my dad wasn't aware of it, that came from just, you know, being in the similar household, similar environment. So, um, I would highly encourage you to do an interview with your grandparents or your parents if you're around so that you can kind of look outside of just you and your reality and look at it from the perspective of someone else. There's a quote, I say it again, you can't read the label from inside the jar. So, you know, sometimes it's easier to see on someone else and then ask yourself, Hey, am I actually still using some of these? So that's thing. Number one, under the topic of digging up your ancestor roots is if you can interview your uh, parents or grandparents, that is a great opportunity for you to kind of see some more about your reality. The other thing that kind of came from me studying Hoisan, and this kind of goes back to like the actual language that they spoke. I didn't realize this, but um, basically, and I'm, I'm going to butcher all these Chinese pronunciations. I, I actually speak Spanish. I speak Spanish and English. I've never spoken Chinese outside of saying gong hi fa choi for uh, Chinese New Year's, which is when they give you the red envelope. And that's a good thing to know is how to say the word that gives you money, right? <laughs> that's about that's about all I got. So if I destroy the, the Chinese names, that's about that's that's probably why. So um, Wang Dong's official speech was Cantonese. And Cantonese speakers, they actually considered people who spoke, 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 <laughs> who spoke Toisanese inferior. So there was like almost a shame for anybody that speak Hoisan, Hoisan or Toisan. Those are the two ways of saying it. So um, this came from an article that I found online from the China Channel, uh, and it's called the Toisan Shout by William Poi Lee. And I actually just picked up the, uh, his book, The Eighth Promise, so I can study a little bit more about my ancestry. But I'm going to read this really quick. And again. I know you probably are not Toysanese or Hoysanese, but go and study the language that your ancestors spoke because I think it shows a lot about who you are. So I'm going to read this really quick because I think it's really relevant to, to me and I want you to think about how you can apply this to you. So um, this comes from that article. So because of Toysanese's stigma as a hillbilly down in the Delta variation of big city Cantonese, there are no, no Toysanese novels, poems, or operas. There is no legacy of Toysan royals with ornate summer palaces. The Toysanese signified sweaty, impoverished backcountry peasants working oxen mud all day with syllables that were harsh to the normal ear and spoken at a decibel level equivalent to shouting. Our dialect reflects life wrestled from the mud, clay, and stone of wet delta land, and it needed to be heard over vast stretches of fields. In truth, the normal volume of spoken Toysanese is a shout. That's probably why I speak so loud. <laughs> but but when spoken angrily, the listener is often finally sprayed with spittle. <laughs> Sentences explode out of their mouth like a mortar barrage with consonants, vowels, and all the tones meshed into a tight, barbed clump of earthy sounds. And this is the most important part right here. 
The dialect was designed for survival, year after year, day after day, sometimes minute by minute. A self-reliant village of farmers needs to know immediately of any emergency, and the, the, the hoisiny shout served as our warning system, one that would carry over the cur- curvaceous, curva- that's a big word, curvaceous meets and bounds of our countryside. During World War II, hoisiny's warnings were destruction were of destruction and death. In the land of Hoisan, there were no excuses for failure. There could only be survival, and Hoisanese evolved to guarantee survival, a nuanced free language whose meanings were harshly, crudely, and loudly clear, a language where layered linguistics of hidden meanings have no function or place. So this came up in the interview that I did with Shannon Graham, but like the majority of human existence was usually about survival, right? Like where is the tiger? Where is the lion that's going to kill me? And how do I avoid it? And so it's interesting because obviously after reading that, I've realized that the function of the language Hoisan was basically just to keep them alive. So there's lots there that I can examine and, and just see that, you know, if my grandpa was raised speaking Hoisan and then, you know, he still has, he, he, he speaks English, but he had to communicate and translate from Hoisan to, to English that, that dramatically shaped the way that he thought. So all super relevant for me as I continue to uncover these ancestral roots. So again, summarizing this one of three ways that you can use language to reconstruct your reality. The first thing is to dig up your ancestral roots. You can do that by interviewing your family, taking a 23andMe and seeing your ancestry composition and examining the actual language that they spoke. So that that is thing number one. So let's move into part number two, which is Conscious language. So if step one is digging up your ancestral roots and examining the language that shaped your reality, the next step step is to consciously use more empowering language to shape your future reality. So I'm going to tell you a story about how I came up, came across this. So I was at an event. Um, uh, there's a, a group I'm a part of called Tribe for Leaders, and they were doing a live event, and it was in Seattle, and they hosted the first day on a 70-foot yacht. Uh, so we got to spend all day on this yacht, and the, the guy that owns the yacht, his name is Michael Quinn, and Michael said yes to coming on the show. We haven't booked him yet, so um, you gotta. that was actually a good reminder. I need to follow up with him, but He's really interesting. He lives full-time on the yacht with his girlfriend. Uh, They've done it for the past three years. He built a successful Amazon FBA business and pretty much hasn't worked at all in three years. He's just been kind of free-flowing on life and has been studying himself a lot and traveling and all this cool stuff. But he said one line to me that, you know, as an interviewer, I picked up on, I'm like, that, that is really, really cool. And I want to dive in here a little bit more. But he said something along the lines of, I've completely eliminated the phrases I want, I can't, I need, and other disempowering language from my vocabulary. I was like, hmm, you've got my attention. So uh, I asked a little bit more about it. And he pointed me to a book called Conscious Language by Robert Tennyson Stevens. I read it, devoured it, and it is profound. And, and we already talked about how language shapes your reality. So why wouldn't you actively think about more of the words that you use both internally and externally, because you listen to this right now, you have that little voice that's having a conversation with me. It's agreeing with me. It's disagreeing with me. It's saying Brandon's a lunatic. Brandon's awesome. (laughs) You know, or you're thinking about other things that are going on those tangents. So like that internal voice and the voice that you use when you speak to other people, those are shaping your reality. So anytime that you use phrases like I want, you're indicating lack in your life. Same with I need. So simple, this book goes over simple shifts in you using more empowering language. Um, and, and I'll give a few examples, but like, let's just say, for example, you choose a goal that where you want to lose weight, disempowering language would be, I want to not be fat, right? So that language can easily be upgraded and have the same meaning, but significantly more powerful. If you said, 
I choose to be fit and lean. So it's the same intended outcome, but one language is negative and disempowering and one is pow positive and empowering. And so I'm trying to think of another example. It doesn't, it doesn't always have to be negative. So there can be language that you're using that just doesn't serve you at the highest level. So one of the things he talks about a lot in conscious language is being very specific. So like you might be using language in your head internally or externally when you speak um, that, that is very unspecific, but it's still positive. So like an example might be like, if you're saying something like, I want a complete health transformation, it's positive, but it could be significantly upgraded if you added more specificity and clarity about what that complete health transformation actually looked like. Because if you're driving for that outcome, you can't really identify anything. You can't capitalize on opportunities if it's something that's super vague. So the book goes super in depth about how to avoid using disempowering and vague language that creates states of being stuck and in lack and shift to using language that's specific, clear, definitive, positive, serves your highest good and is aligned with your goals. So Outside of the fact that we're all speaking English, I would invite you to explore the dialogue that is going on in your head and see if there are opportunities to upgrade them. And I would highly recommend checking out the book uh, Conscious Language because that's just been profound for identifying these negative ways that we're speaking and how to upgrade. And if you also want to explore this a little bit more, I think someone that reminds me a lot about the author, Robert Tennyson Stevens is uh, Blair Dunkley. Blair Dunkley has been on the show and he uh, created something called mind models, which, and he's been responsible for adding, you know, tons, millions and millions of dollars to people's businesses by basically reconstructing the way that they think about things. So that is episode number 25. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, but that's another example. If you want to kind of dive deeper into the mental models that you are using inside of your brain. Okay, so as a recap so far, we have talked about how language shapes your reality. We talked about the TED Talks and how basically the language that you speak can dramatically either empower or disempower you to speak uh, language and you know impact your health, your savings, all that kind of stuff. And then I opened up with the three ways that you can use language to reconstruct your reality with step one being digging up your ancestral roots. We just talked about conscious language. The third part is constructing your identity 2.0. So basically now that you are conscious of your language, you've worked to reconstruct it and use more powerful language. The last part has to do with the next biggest impact you can make. So going back to what I talked about before, language shapes your culture, which shapes your identity, which shapes your thoughts, which shapes your actions, which shapes your results. So outside of language and culture, the next biggest impact, if you want to make a difference on the results in your life and the actions that you take is identity. And we talked a lot about this again with the episode with Shannon Graham, but how do you actually construct a new identity that generates more powerful thoughts, which then generates more powerful actions and results? So to me, what I've done as I'm thinking about my next level goals and asking, I'm basically asking myself, what is the version of myself that has already achieved this? What is that version of Brandon's identity? And, you know, it's going to require the next level of self-love, self-acceptance, worthiness, how I use language. And so what I've done is I've very clearly written out what this identity is and I'm stepping into it and I keep adding into it. And the way that I'm actually doing this is that, so I've written it out. And what I do is I actually record myself reading my identity 2.0 and I've been listening to it out loud every single day. And as of today, I've listened to it, uh, 20, actually 30, today's the 30th day in a row that I've done this. So I have a, an app I use on my phone to track uh, habits that I started. And that is one of the ones that I do every single day. And I very clearly say in those audio recordings of myself is that listening to this means I've already assumed this identity. This recording serves as a reminder and reinforce, reinforce, 
reinforcement of what I already am. So I would encourage you, what are the goals that you're pursuing and what is the version of you that has already achieved that goal? Get very clear on that, script it out as identity 2.0 and listen to yourself as a reminder every single day that this is who you are now. And it's funny, actually just earlier this week, I went and I saw the movie Dear Evan Hansen with my wife. And if you, if you haven't heard about Dear Evan Hansen or don't know what it is, like the main character is super depressed, super anxiety ridden. And you can just see it on his expressions and like how he carries himself. And I think I heard something the other day about how the main actor started like feeling like depression and anxiety because he was stepping into this role of, 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 of Evan Hansen essentially. So like it works with negative roles. You know, it's like, if you're an actor, I think it was also Heath Ledger when he played the Joker, he just went mad because he was practicing as being the Joker. So think about it from that perspective, like who is this 2.0 version of you and just step into it, start acting like it because eventually it's going to catch up. Another person that's talked about this is AJ Jacobs. Um, I'm going to find the episode number for you really quick. So AJ Jacobs was episode number 33 if you want to listen in on this conversation, but AJ is a immersion journalist. So he like does all these crazy experiments. He spent an entire year living the Bible as literally as possible. He spent a period of time where he dressed up as George Washington and does all these crazy things. But one of the things that he talks about is faking it until you feel it. It's like if you spend as much time as this person, eventually you kind of become like that person. And so uh, since I'm thinking about it, uh, another book on this topic that I've read is really good. It's called The Alter Ego Effect. That is by Todd Herman. If you want to look about it, he talks about how uh, athletes use an alter ego to step into and, you know, play more effectively, but you can also use it in other areas of your life. So, um, those are some extra thoughts about how you can construct your identity 2.0 and the importance of it. So those are the three ways that you can use language to reconstruct your reality. Hopefully there's lots of actionable takeaways that you can have here. If you were serious about implementing something like this and being more conscious of the language that is running through your head, reconstructing it and using it to build a new identity. So again, dig up your ancestral roots, use more conscious language and, uh, reconstruct your or Identity 2.0 and step into that. So there you have it. I have reached the end of my notes for everything that I wanted to cover at the end of episode 50 here. And before I let you go, I know I say this at the end of every single episode, but really it means so much for all your support, all the reviews that you guys are leaving on the podcast. And just to know that you guys are listening in every single week makes this so awesome and so worthwhile. So hitting episode 50 is a big win to celebrate. Uh, Still got a month left until this show will be officially one years old which one year old, (laughs) which is kind of crazy to think about that uh, time has flown so fast. It's been such an adventure. So I appreciate you so much and I look forward to talking to you very soon. Hey, it's Brandon here again, and I have a quick favor to ask before you head off, and that is if you are listening to my voice right now and you are currently using either Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help me a ton if you could stop what you're doing, take five seconds to tap the number of stars that you think the show deserves. So if you're on Spotify, there's a place to add a star rating right underneath the name of the show, and if you're listening on Apple, just scroll down where you're seeing all the episodes and there's something that says tap to rate. Just tap the number of the stars that you think the show deserves. And you may not know this, but I typically spend over five hours of my own time each week 
just researching a guest on the show. And then there's the time that's spent recording the show, the intro, reaching out to new guests, and of course, all the editing, publishing, promoting that my amazing wife and high school sweetheart, Leah, helps me to manage. So all that to say, there's a lot that goes on just to get to the point where you listen to this episode. So if you appreciate the content and have 10, five to 10 seconds to spare, it would help a ton if you could leave a quick rating on the show. Extra credit if you choose to leave a review, but just tapping whatever stars you feel the show deserves helps a ton and it takes so little time. So whether you choose to do that or not, I so appreciate you and I'll talk with you soon.